0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End Service.
1: To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. I'll be reading today from Luke 12, 13 to 34. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns, bigger ones, and there there I will store my surplus grain." and I'll say to myself you have plenty of grain laid up for many years take life easy eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God then Jesus said to his disciples therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not reap or sow. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more vulnerable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes, nor near, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, the heart will also be. If you can give me a hand in giving Wrath a very warm welcome. Thanks,
0: Akili. Um, morning, everyone. Like Sikile said, my name is Raph. Um, I'm on the service leadership here. Just uh, to give you a little bit about myself in case we've not met yet or have not had a chance to say uh, hello before. Uh, on my day, In my day-to-day week, I work as an architect in a design studio in Hackney. Um, I live down the road with my wife, Emmy. We have a little boy called Noah, and in the new year, we'll have a little girl uh, joining our family as well. Um, so. It's uh, yeah, very exciting time uh, for us, lots of, lots of change, um, lots of change of foot, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to um, be here you know, sharing with you guys. I've been part of this uh, church, this community for nine years, and um, I love you guys. I love being part of this, uh, this community, so yeah, I'm really honoured, I'm really excited to speak to you all uh, this morning. My prayer for all of us is that we'll, we'll leave here feeling um, challenged and encouraged um, and, and touched by the, sort of the, the lavish uh, love of, of God. Um, just before I start, I'm going to pray and um, pray for myself and for all of us and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you that you are here with us. I pray for others as we reflect on these words and we think about what you might have to say to us this morning. I pray that you would stir our hearts and our minds and our, our bodies, our spirits. Father, we open these up to you. We pray that you would bring down any barrier that stops us from hearing what you have to say to us this morning. Be with us, we pray. Would your Holy Spirit rest in each and every one of us this morning. Amen. Amen. So um, to set the scene for the passage that we have just uh, had read for us, Jesus is in front of a huge crowd. People have traveled from a really far, far away to hear what he has uh, to say. In the, Earlier in the text in Luke, it says that many thousands have gathered. Um, they're kind of trampling over one another to kind of hear what he has to say. At this point, Jesus is well into his ministry. He's been sending out disciples. He's been casting out demons. He's been upsetting the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day. And he's yet again now in front of a crowd. And what I love is that instead of sort of pandering to the crowd and telling them what they might want to hear, Jesus is again about to ruffle some more feathers. He's going to talk about something that people find. I think people then and still people now find quite uncomfortable to talk about, which is, but you've probably guessed from the passage, money, generosity. There are a few things that grip our hearts more than money. There are a few things that kind of take up our mind space or elicit like a bodily reaction that cause tension um, more than money and belongings and the stuff that we have or that we don't have especially with a, a cost of living crisis, or as someone's calling it, the cosy lives. Um, I, now, just because, this is it in there, but just because I sued Aaliyah, I messaged Aaliyah, we t- something on Instagram, and I was like, oh, it's the cost of lives out here. And she was like, who lives where? And I was like, <laughs> equally not as Gen Z adjacent as me. Um, <laughs> you know what the kids are saying, but yeah, cosy lives, whatever, however you want to call it. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard time out here, um, especially in a city of extremes like London and, uh, you know, the ongoing conversation around equity and, and race and gender and power. It feels like money is on, on the mind and heart more than ever. We're all familiar with the phrase that money does not buy happiness. And most of us, I think, would agree intellectually, most of us would agree in our minds, but I think often we don't sort of curate our, our brain space or live with our, our bodies or make decisions as if this were really true, as if money or things will not truly make us happy. The rapper Biggie said it best when he said, more money, more problems. And, you know, yeah, as nicely described um, on this podcast i was listened to, he said, to desire more, to want more, is homeostasis for human beings. It feels like our baseline condition can be to desire or to want more. And today we're looking at two passages, both about money, one about greed and one about worrying. And the reason I asked Adnan actually if I could just actually speak about both of them in the, the, the same uh, talk it's, you know it 's it's against my nature to willingly take on more work than <laughs> than, than than necessary, um, but the reason why I, t- I mention it's because I feel like actually Jesus is talking about two sides of the same coin. Now if I can summarize um, what this is it's if we are not careful, our view of reality and our fundamental belief about God and who He is and what a life of flourishing looks like can be subtly, but sort of utterly distorted by money. Whether we're always desiring more money or fretting about not having enough money, our hearts, our minds, our spirits can be disordered by our relationship with money and wealth and desire. Our understanding of existence and the shape of reality can be kind of completely out of sync with God the words of Jesus that we've heard and um, read this morning are more than, uh, more than a warning, and they're more than words of encouragement as well. They, they should be a kind of a wholesale challenge and a front on our, our worldview, our view of reality. They are an invitation into a radical way of viewing and experiencing God's world, his reality, and truth. And I think if we Pay attention to these words, they're familiar, but I think if we really pay attention to them, they should impact us deeply. They should, you know, kind of wreck us in some way. And so the way I want to structure our our time together this morning is to look at truth in in this space, God's intended reality. Then look at how this truth may have been distorted in our context and our walk with Jesus. And then finally look at what Jesus might be inviting us. Into. So truth, distortion, invitation. We'll pop all over the place, but try and keep that in your mind. That's the direction that's where we're going this morning. Now, if Jesus was here in this room, standing in front of you, we're not a crowd of thousands, you know, but we've got a couple of people here. And if Jesus was stood here, the creator incarnate in front of you, what would you ask him for? What would you say to him? In this story, the man that's standing in a crowd, he's in a crowd of thousands, yet he is close enough to Jesus to say something to him. He is standing next to the creator of the universe incarnate, the promised Messiah that the Jewish people had been longing for. And what he chooses to ask Jesus is to tell his brother to split his inheritance with him. Now, many at the time would have found this a very reasonable request for Jesus. He's a religious teacher. He's a rabbi. Um, It's a a reasonable request to tell him, to tell this man's brother to share his inheritance with him. It kind of feels good on the surface. It's clear that many, you know, then and many now, I'd argue, wanted Jesus to be this sort of um, religious authority, this moral um, authority with the power to make people do what they wanted them to do. Now... I wonder, does anyone here have a sibling? You just, just put your hand up if you've got a sibling. Now, keep that, no, keep your hands up. Keep your, have you got a sibling, keep your hands up. Now, keep that hand up if you know the sweet, delicious joy of snitching on your sibling when they've done something to you. If they've wronged you and you've got to tell someone, yeah, that's right, all the hands up. You know, it tastes good, it feels good. Um, I've been there, sorry, my sister's actually here, sorry. <laughs> But you were the queen of doing it, so actually I don't feel sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, this guy is rubbing his hands together. He's looking side eye at his brother. He's probably in the crowd as well. Like hmm, Jesus is about to tell you something, and it seems that Jesus, as per usual, has a different agenda from what people wanted from him. He's like, actually, I want to talk about you, and I want to talk about life, and I want to talk about money. First, Jesus says, "Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions." And then he says, "Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Life is more than food and body, uh, and the body more than clothes." Now, why does he do this? Why does Jesus take his question about inheritance and all of a sudden start talking about life? And I think this is because, again, as usual, I think Jesus sees beyond the question, beyond all this inheritance talk, and into the question at the heart of the matter, which is, "Will I have a good life?" Will my future be secure? Will I have enough? Will I be okay? I wonder how many of us in this room have also asked similar questions. Whether we're concerned about keeping hold of all that we have already or worried that we won't have enough. Like I said before, it's just two sides of the same coin. Jesus' first response uh, to our worries here is is to say, consider the ravens, consider how the wildflowers grow. Consider, notice, contemplate, think about. Some uh, translations say, think about from top to bottom uh, the birds and the flowers, which I don't know about you. If I told someone I was worried, that's not the thing I would like to hear. Now, why does Jesus say this? Why not just say, do not worry because I'm God, um, I've got it? And instead, Jesus seeks to direct our attention, directs our thinking that disciples thinking, to the world around us and to his created order, which I think we should find interesting. Now, I imagine that for many of us here, we're probably um, a little bit more removed than people in, in that context from, uh, from nature, from the day-to-day reality of living with animals and, and being in nature. Uh, we probably don't spend much time thinking about birds or, or plants. I, well, maybe plants, actually. This is it in the back. This is East London, so maybe we do think about plants, but we don't think about um, you know nature and and being in nature, and it's probably not a surprise to you that I grew up in like in, in, in a city and so I'd never even been to the countryside until I was like eleven years old and when I got there I was looking around like what on earth is this? Like ugh like why? <laughs> I was like why do rich people live here? I'm like if I had a choice about where I live it would not be here. i like, what the heck is this? Um, and so you know whether you're more like a, a, a glamping sort of person, which is you know my that's me, that's my wheelhouse, or you know you're like more like on the bell bare grills end of the spectrum, you like being in nature you, um, I think for all of us, maybe our day-to-day reality is a little bit disjointed uh, from this. So, we, you know, I feel like we probably don't think about how nature speaks to the generosity of God. There's a little bit of a worldview gap here that I just want to uh, spend some time on and bring some attention to. I don't want to rush uh, rush past it. So, for a second, I just want to zoom out of the story and think about uh, the book of Genesis and the beginning of the Bible, the narrative at the beginning of the Bible that sort of sets this uh, stage for, for humanity. And when we look at the creation story, what we see is, is that the narrative starts off in the early chapters with God as a generous God. He creates a world overflowing with abundance and resources. Genesis 1 and 2 shows us that God brings order and abundance out of chaos, he creates waters and land teeming with uh, with life and natural resources. He creates a garden out of a wasteland, and these God gives as a gift to humanity, to you and me. We see that God is not purely utilitarian, but also delights in beauty, which you know has a designer I care about. And, for example, we see in Genesis 2, verse 10, he talks about how God causes trees to spring up from the ground that uh, are not only um, kind of good for food, but are pleasant to the sight. God is not a purely utilitarian God. When we look at at the Psalms, for example, Psalm 104, it says this, speaking about God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants, for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. I love this. He gives us oil to make sure our skin is looking good and moisturized. He gives us wine, nice orange wines, I don't know. Whatever. Um, he gives us sourdough bread to, you know, to strengthen our hearts, uh, for catchup if you're Nathan, you know all of these things that come from from the natural, the created order that God has made. It's out of his generosity that this stuff uh, flows. If we move on to the second, the second bit in this uh, passage, it says, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. A question for all of us here this morning is, do we view God in this way? That he's generous, that when he opens his hands, they are, they are full of good things. That he will give us what we need in our due season. A.W. Tozer once wrote that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I've always loved that phrase. I've never actually seen the rest of that quote, which is this, which is we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church and her I- is her idea of God. I wonder what is our idea of God. I wonder if someone came in uh, this morning for the first time and saw into our lives and how we behave and how we live and how we are with each other. What they would think about what our view of God is. Would they see from our lives that we believe that God is a generous God. I wonder here this morning, what is your view of God? Do you see him as generous or do you see him as, as tight-fisted, as utilitarian, as, as stingy, as withholding? If you're anything like me, maybe you know in your head, like, yes, he's good, he's generous, but actually in our hearts, we hold him to, uh, to be, you know, stingy, tight-fisted, that he's withheld from us uh, in some way, that he doesn't care about us or about what we need. I think that Jesus, when he points his disciples to consider the ravens and to consider the flowers, he wants to remind his disciples and those listening, um, those of us listening here today, that the world is a place generously created by God with enough resources to satisfy our needs. A world where ravens do not sow or reap, but are fed by God. And a world where flowers do not spin or labor, but are clothed with beauty the concept of of grace, this sort of unearned generosity is is woven into the very fabric of creation, is woven into the very fabric of reality. This is the truth, this is who who God is. God is a generous God and we live in a world of abundance. Now, if we know that's the truth, that's the baseline, that's the worldview there, I think the distortion we can see in those that Jesus was speaking to and for ourselves in our context today is that um, God is not generous and that God cannot be trusted with our lives. So in the first text, this is what that distortion looks like in this situation. It looks like, if I cannot trust God with my life and trust him to make me truly happy, then I will store up things for myself and make my existence pain-free and frictionless, without boundaries, without issues. We might not think of ourselves as greedy or in love with money, but we certainly like what it affords us and what it gives us. Many of us probably do not think of ourselves as rich. Now, as an aside, this is aside to the main point, but I was doing a little bit of uh, research, and if you consider yourself as a a single person, um, you don't own a home, but you have a salary of £25,000 a year, you are in the top 40% of wealth in this country and the top 15% in this world. If you're in the same situation on a salary of 35,000, you are in the top 22% in the UK and the top 9% in the world. And then once you add a partner and any assets like earning a home, you just kind of move up that wealth ranking. Now this index that I was referring to does take into account sort of localised cost of living um, and I do re- again want to really recognize that living in London is hard. It's, it's hard work. It's not easy. And many of us here may not actually feel that rich, especially if we look at the bank account at the end of the month, we're like, that is not the account of a rich person. But <laughs> many of us, um, you know, might experience that and have that feeling. But I think often when the Bible talks about wealth, and the reason why I bring up this kind of with five things like that i think often we can always think about someone else being wealthy we don't ever think about ourselves as being as being wealthy we don't think that when god is talking about this rich person this rich fool that that might be us and actually by the world standards many of us are rich and that's not a moral judgment it's not a, like a good thing or bad thing um, what I'm trying to say in, 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 sort of in love is that we shouldn't let these words um, skip us by. Don't assume this morning that God isn't talking to you, that he's not talking to me, that he's not talking to all of us in this room. We might not think of ourselves as a rich person, but we too can also buy into this distortion that we cannot trust God with our lives and we cannot trust him to make us truly happy. So we're going to dive back into the first passage a little bit more, and my encouragement is to to not check out. Don't think this isn't for you. Let's pay attention um, to what God might be saying this morning. Let's go back to the verse. It says, And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. The rich man here has reached a crossroad. He has been given abundance more than enough. And interestingly, you kind of see where this abundance comes from. It comes from the ground. But he's, which you know, again, think back to earlier, comes from God, everything. So he's been given this abundance, it's overflowing. And, and the question is, what will he do with it? Question for all of us this morning is, what, do we, what will we do with what God has given us? So let's keep reading. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, is there anything wrong with taking life easy, eating, drinking, and being merry? I'm biased because those are my favorite things, so I'm going to say no. Um, (laughs) I think that often Jesus was found at a meal Doing These things. And I think often, as we see in the Bible, the how and the why is often as important, if not more important, than the what. What the rich man decides to do with his abundance is in stark contrast to God. Where God uses abundance to bless others and to create systems for others to flourish, the rich man turns his abundance inward instead of outward. Now, for many of us, this might, what he has done might sound like financial prudence and wisdom with investing, but it seems like the defining line between financial prudence and greed is who and what is it all for? What is the heart of it? Love of money can be veiled as financial prudence or building generational wealth. We need to be really careful about that. Jesus says, watch out against all kinds of greed, all kinds, which means it might not be what we think it looks like. Now, I don't know about you, I have never dreamed about barns filled with grain. That's not my dream. That's not my desire. There's, there's, there's no connection there. Um, but what I do dream of is this. Being featured in the Modern House or the Architectural Digest. Uh, you'll notice there's a nice piece of art in that room as well. Um, you, you, might reckon, you might recognize a certain uh, preacher, a certain leader of this church in those in image. But I don't know about you, but this, this, this is more my vibe. Not barn houses, but this. Beautiful home, amazing holidays, stylish but not too bougie or ostentatious. You know, not super rich but comfortable. Have nice things, nice furniture. You know, not famous, but with enough cultural capital to be in the right rooms and the the right parties, enough to be you know friends with Pharrell, or um, <laughs> to uh, be to be present at the uh, at the at Pharrell's Louis Vuitton Paris show, you know, just in the background, not in the front row. I don't I don't want to be A-list, just C-list, just like in the room, you know, just looking stylist, photographed, but not focused, but not followed by paparazzi, but you know, just there, around. Um, you know, not barn houses, but this. This is, this is an insight. If you ever wondered what was going on in here, this is, this is what's going um, on in there. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with this, I think, I hope. Someone, someone professional might tell me otherwise. Um, but I wonder if you here took a second to contemplate what your dream future looks like. I can imagine, I don't think I'm an anomaly. I don't think I'm that unique or special, mostly, despite what my mum tells me. Um, I don't know why I said that. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I don't think I'm that special. Let me say that. i sorry. Yeah. I don't think I'm that special. Um, but maybe just like me, that future dream that you might be contemplating, hold that picture in your mind now, isn't really about how you might bless others outside yourself or your immediate family. It was probably more, if again, if you're like me, inward than outward. Maybe there's a clue there that we need to reorient our hearts and our minds when it comes to money, belongings, desire, wealth. Here are some clues, Uh, it's not exhaustive, but some clues that you might be at risk of greed or or just needing to reorient your heart and your, your mind, your relationship with money and possessions. Do you ever find yourself uh, counting or contemplating other people's money, trying to guess their salaries? I don't, I'm not saying this with judgment. I've, we, I've been pretty much all of these, don't worry. Um, do you ever find yourself feeling maybe shame or deep discontent about your salary or your savings or your living situation? Or do you ever feel yourself feeling pride about those things, about your salary, about your, uh, your, uh, your savings or being on the housing ladder? Do you ever find yourself reluctant to tithe or to give generously? Do you ever find yourself contemplating how other people should be using your money, their money or how you would use their money if you had it? Jesus would say to me, definitely, but to us, I think, as well, to watch out, to be on your guard. Where is your heart this morning on this? Paul, in his letter to Timothy, echoes this warning. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He's not mincing his words here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for many, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, he's speaking to Timothy here, flee, but also all of us, flee from all this and pursue righteousness Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Watch out. Be on your guard. Flee. Now, maybe you're here today and you're kind of superhuman. All of this is not an issue uh, for you. You don't think about sort of chasing, chasing after many and security and all of those things. Maybe uh, the distortion of, of the truth that we were talking about earlier Um, is more like the second example where your heart is gripped with worry. If greed is one side of the coin, then worry is on the other side. Both say that God can't be trusted to provide and to meet our deepest needs. Jesus' response to our worry is threefold in the passage that we um, just read. First, he reminds us of the abundance of creation. Remember, consider the ravens, consider the wildflowers. Then he affirms our powerlessness. So he's like, if you can't even just add one day to your life, if you cannot do this single thing. And now this isn't to belittle us or to you know, kind of make us feel silly, but it's to sort of right-size our view of ourselves and our right-size the, our view of God and his power and what he's able to do is to relieve us of pressure um, whilst also pointing to God and his, um, his power. Then he invites us into a different Kind of lift in a different kind of heart posture that looks different to being gripped by worry. Now, I guess before I get into uh, this what this invitation is and how we can all personally and collectively respond to this, I just I do want to sort of take a second to to name that for some of us in this room, um, worrying about money will be a real force in our life. It will be a real uh, pain point in our lives. And I think often in church, it can be very easy to just skate over that and just jump into the trust in God bit, which, you know, horror, that's where we're heading. But I don't want to kind of just skate there and miss, and miss that. I, I feel like um, that Jesus, when he's saying these words, do not worry, he's not saying it flippantly or carelessly. I imagine that if he were here in this room and we are here today gripping um, grappling with worry about money he would uh, look us straight in the face with uh, with compassion and love and when he says um do do not worry he he means it but he doesn't say it uh, he doesn't say it lightly he he longs to relieve us and to meet us uh, where we are in that pain and, and to relieve us from that He says, do not worry, knowing everything, every nuance, every detail of what our situations look like, and he cares. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with, um, do not worry, he invites us into a new way of living. He invites us to trust and to live generously. So if we return to that verse, verse 29 says, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But we seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says "Do not set our hearts, and by hearts, I think he means our inner center, our kind of trifecta of thinking and, and feeling and, uh, and desire, our emotions, our will, our volition. Don't set these things on chasing after security and the things that the world chases after, but instead to seek his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his renewal of all things, his reconciliation between man and God and world and his undoing of injustice, his making of all things new, and to invest ourselves, to invest our hearts, our brain space, our minds, our bodies, our money into something greater and something that transcends this life. I guess the question for all of us this morning is how do we do that? How do we seek and, and practically live in the light of this coming kingdom that he's asking us to seek? And one of the primary ways it will come as no shock, but it's by doing what Jesus says. If we move on to the final bit of this passage, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is probably the part of the passage I find the most affronting, the most difficult to to grapple with, because when Jesus says that, when Jesus says give to the poor, it's not a metaphor. He genuinely means for us to live generously in a way that will cost us, in a way that we may not see the benefit of that in this life, in a way that will look foolish to our friends and family that don't follow Jesus, in a way that shows that our treasure is elsewhere. Paul, again, later in that letter to Timothy, he builds on this saying that, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Notice parallel, with set your hearts on but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share. They're storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Whilst giving away can sometimes feel painful, it can feel like a little death in some ways, on the other side of that, is life, life that is truly life. And one of the ways in which we can participate in and experience God's coming kingdom, his new creation, is to share with others. When we're generous, we start to step into this new kingdom that is coming, that's not fully here yet. It gives us a glimpse into what is to come. There's an invitation for all of us, you and me, all of us here in this room, to think about how we're doing here. Would you call yourself a generous person? Who are the beneficiaries of your generosity? When was the last time you gave something that it hurt you to do so? How tightly do you hold the things that you have? Could you let them go? Could you sell them even at a moment's notice to meet the needs of others, to meet the needs of someone in this room? A good telltale sign is kind of like a little rule of thumb. It's not a little bit... Is to think, if you're, you're kind of figuring out, like, where am I in this? Am I living generously? I don't know. It's to contemplate or think about people maybe on the same income or salary as you. If your life, your disposable income, your comfort level looks the same as them, maybe that's also a clue that we need to think about. Maybe are we living generously enough? If you're not tithing, maybe now's the time to start tithing. If you tired already, maybe now is the time to think about other things, other charities, other uh, good work that you can support. If money has a grip on your heart, then maybe you need to do a steps course or a cap money course. Maybe um, for some of us, maybe we just need to spend some time in nature contemplating and reminding ourselves of the truth of who God is, that he's generous, that he created everything, that everything flows from him whatever it might look like for each and every one of us, maybe today is a day to commit to living more generously, to living like the God of the universe has not only created a world of abundance, but the one who is, as a verse says, pleased to give us this kingdom, pleased to give us this king- coming kingdom. And I think we'll find that if we're able to do this, if you and I are, are able to do this, what we'll find is that in God's sort of Uh, upside down or so as some would say right side up reality we'll find that we will have more than we could ever need and a different kind of richness we'll find that we have a different kind of treasure we'll find the life that is truly life A.W. Tozer said the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one we'll have something that no thief can steal and no moth can destroy can I invite the band up. Um, just as I close, um, I just thought there's one more quote I'd like to share from you. And I remember being uh, a teenager at a youth camp. Actually, I. I Came to faith at a, at a Christian youth camp, and I remember one year that really stuck out to me. We were going through the story of, of missionaries, and we were going through the life of uh, Jim, of Jim Elliot. And I remember sitting in this sort of um, camp room in a in a lodge, and hearing this um, hearing this story about this missionary who kind of basically gave his life. He had a family, he had a wife, had children, um, to for the sake of sharing the gospel. And one of the things I think he said or or wrote before that that always stuck with me is, he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I just remember being in that room, feeling like a fire within me, like just like burning inside, like I was like, I don't know, like a a, a young teenager and thinking like, oh, I want to give everything to god I, I you know if you get one of them, like my trainers off my feet i would give it to him right now and somewhere in between that and where i am now something in that that desire that spark has fizzled out a bit whether it's the you know worries of this life or cares of this life and i don't know about you but i feel like maybe there's an invitation for all of us is to recapture that sense maybe when we first became a christian or even maybe if today's the first time of of, of trusting God so much that we'd be willing to give it all for him. That at the drop of the hat, that the, these costumes that we wear, these clothes, the, the houses, whatever we have, that at the drop of the hat we'd be willing to give it all up for the sake of knowing God, for the sake of having him, for the sake of having the life that is truly life. I'm going to um, pray over us in the band are going to sing. Uh, I'm just going to read the verses um, from Isaiah 55, actually. So maybe you'd like to stand um, and I'll just read this invitation. It's, the title of this section of passage is called Invitation to the Thirsty. And I guess I'm speaking to him praying for those that desire to recapture that as well. He says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Father God, thank you for your invitation to come to buy without money. Thank you, Father, that we can come as we are. Not as what the world describes value to, but in a different value set, a different value system. Thank you, Father, that you promise to be with us, to provide for us, to meet our needs. Thank you, Father, that as you invite us to live differently, to live generously, it comes from a place of knowing that we will always be taken care of by you. That not only that, that there we are Heading towards a new day, a, a, a your coming kingdom where all will be made well. Father, we open up our hearts and our minds, our bodies, our spirits to you. Help us to be a people that can that can declare that all we have, we would we would give for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of receiving your love and knowing the love that you have for each and every one of us. Be with us, we pray, God, as we sing, as we worship, as we, de- as we declare that there's none other more worthy of our attention, of our desire, of our brain space, of our hearts, our minds, than you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Be with us. Meet us in our worry. Meet us in our desire. We long for you. Holy Spirit come be with us we pray